0: Well, church, I hope you have your Bibles open to John chapter 1. If not, turn over there. And uh, while you're doing, let me just highlight something from our bulletin. We have two things that are extremely important and the bulletin, four which are also important coming up here in the next couple of weeks. First, this week, Wednesday, 645, we'll have a uh, civil rights vision trip recap here in the sanctuary. If you want to hear a little bit about our experience uh, two weeks ago, we'd love to share our learnings and the outcome of that. Secondly, next Sunday, you don't want to miss it, Sam Albury will be here, who is a national leader in regards to the subject matter of identity, singleness, and sexuality. So he'll be here Sunday morning speaking and then having a forum uh, Sunday night then we have some other things coming up related to our missions uh, focus and uh, also if uh, you're new we'd love to have you stop into our uh, next steps area get to know us a little bit we'd love to get to know you and then uh, we also have a um, discover event that we offer on the third Sunday which is the first step in learning a little bit more about our church so those are all things that would be important for you to know about this morning glad you're here today so when I think of uh, one of the Christmas gifts that I, my wife and I gave to our twins when they were toddlers, there's one that is in particular, um, it was kind of an interesting gift that we gave them because of uh, what it revealed about them and about what it means to raise little boys. The, the gift is called pound a peg. Do you know what this gift is? You, can, you already know where this is going. This, this is a little bench. About this big, and it's got multicolored pegs and a hammer, and the goal is to hit the pegs such that they're flush with the bench, and then you flip it over and you hit it again, and you just repeat over and over and over. How many know this gift that I'm talking about? Okay, it's pretty cool. It's like, like 1930s gift that's kept going on, right? Well, here's the thing. It's remarkable what happens in the mind of a little boy when he makes the connection that this hammer can actually move the peg. And two things happen in his mind. First, he begins to ask the question immediately, how hard can I hit the peg, right? So then he starts winding up trying to hit it. The second thing that runs through a little boy's mind, not only how hard can I hit it, the second question is, what else can I hit, right? (laughs) And unfortunately, the um, little toy doesn't come with a parental instruction manual about how to help your children know how not to hit your brother, or the plate glass front door, or the coffee table, none of this happened, by the way, or the dog. (laughs) What happens, though, is that little boy, when he understands this hammer can move a peg, he feels like he's got power. You may have heard it said before that when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Hit it over and over and over. Today we're in the Gospel of John. How does pound a peg relate to John? Here's how. Because the hammer in John's hand as he writes this Gospel is belief. Over and over and over, John's going to hammer it down on truth after truth, story after story. What does it mean to believe? So the idea of belief and John's gospel is absolutely central. It's why he wrote this gospel. So if you're here today and this is the first Sunday that you're joining us, we're glad that you're here. We're in the middle of an extensive series on the gospel of John. We're spending nine weeks just in the first 18 verses because the first 18 verses of this gospel are that important. John knows that belief is the difference between somebody who lives in darkness and someone who lives in the light of the gospel. John knows that belief is the difference between those who perish and those who have eternal life. John knows that belief is the difference between those who are non-Christians and those who are Christians. John knows that belief is the difference between those who are saved and those who are unsaved, between those who are condemned and those who are forgiven, between hell and between heaven. And so over and over, John comes back to this idea because believing is that important. Believing is what makes the difference between somebody who's not converted and somebody who is converted. So today, if you're a follower of Jesus, my aim for you in this message is help you to see the beauty of what belief is so that you'll continue to live in that belief because believing in Jesus brings you into a lifetime of believing in him. And then if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, my hope is that today, by virtue of these two verses and sort of this in-depth study that we're gonna do on them will convince you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you too can be saved. So you need to know that I have an agenda with this text. And it is the agenda of John's gospel. It is that you would believe. Now normally when we cover a, a, a subject like this, in this particular text, I might have two or three, maybe four points maximum. But today I'm going to do something a little unconventional. Today I have nine points. Yes. Don't shh. Don't shh me. It's going to be just fine. It's going to be just fine. So here's the deal. Don't remember all nine. Just let them wash over you, and then see if you can remember and give- grab a hold of two points. Okay. With with this agreement that you won't leave. And someone says to you, "How was the message?" Well, there was nine points, and only two of them were good. So don't say that. <laughs> what we want to do is just do a little digging on nine important words, or think of it this way, nine aspects of belief. Nine aspects of belief. So let's begin in verse 12. The first word in verse 12 is the word but. So this is the first of nine words that we're going to look at and it is the contrast of belief. So the word but in the Bible is really important because it indicates that something is different than what was before. If you were here last week, we covered verses 10 and 11, and it was a pretty dark message. It was about the way in which Jesus was rejected, about the fact that he came to his own people and his own people didn't receive him. They ignored him, or he came to the world that he had created and was just outright rejected. I shared with you last week that sometimes I encounter people, I'm sure you have as well, maybe you're in this position where you just kind of are on the fence with Jesus. You, you're not quite sure what to do about him, and the Bible would tell you that to be on the fence with Jesus is actually to have already decided about Jesus, because he's either Lord or he's not. He's either alive or he's not. He's either the risen Christ or he's not. So verses 10 and 11 were the dark side, And yet the Gospel of John is written so that you might be able to find and discover and embrace the mercy, the forgiveness, the grace of God. That's why this word but is so important. The dark side of verses 10 and 11 now turns to this beautiful, glorious truth that we find in verses 12 and 13 about what it means to believe. So what you need to know is this idea of of a contrast is a part of every person's story who's a follower of Jesus. Every single one of us who've known and confessed Christ as Lord have a story that goes something like this. I was a mess, I was stuck in my sin, I was condemned, but then I met Jesus. And that's the story. It doesn't matter what it is before the contrast the fact of the matter is it is a glorious contrast you i'm sure you know the song amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost what's the next word but now i'm found was blind but now i see that's what god does through christ that's what he did in conversion and by the way that's what he's still doing which would be enormously encouraging because some of you are in the middle of maybe difficult moments in your life at present and what you need to know is you're just on the one side of the word but. It'll be a story 15, five, maybe three weeks from now, but you'll be able to say, look, this is where I was, but God moved. So the contrast of belief. Here's the second thing, is that we see in this text the word Receive. And this word is incredibly important because this is the meaning of belief. He says, but to all who did receive him. Now I skipped over the word all, we'll come back to it in a moment. We need to start out by understanding the word receive. The word receive is connected to the word believe in the verse. Notice that it says, but to all who did receive him. And my translation says, comma, who believed in his name. That means that the phrase who believed in his name is explaining what it means to receive him. So the first thing you need to know about the word receive is that the word receive and the word believe essentially mean the same thing. They're complementary, but they're pointing the same direction. Now what exactly does the word receive mean? The word receive means to take to oneself, or it means to accept as true. It has the idea that you affirm something as true when it is in fact true. So you don't make it true by your affirming, you're just really acknowledging what was already true. And as it relates to John's gospel, as it relates to receiving him, it means that we accept that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. To believe means that we hear what John says and we say, that's true, because it is true. I'll give you some examples of how the word receive is used. Go to John chapter 3 and verse 11. I want you to see how this word is used in a couple of passages. First, John 3 and verse 11 it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. There it is. So the idea is, we told you what is true, but you just won't receive it. So to receive it, again, means that you hear what Jesus says, you hear what the Bible says, and to receive it means that you say, ah, that's true. When the Bible says that you're a sinner, instead of saying, well, kind of, or, well, let me tell you about my upbringing, or, well, let me tell you about other people. No, 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 what happens is you hear when the Bible says you're a sinner, and you go, yeah, that's true. That's what it means to receive. When the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, it means that you hear that and you go, yeah, that's right. When you hear when the Bible says that that you can receive him, to receive him means that you believe that receiving him is what God calls us to do. Now look at John chapter three and verse 32. Here's another example. In this case, this is John the Baptist testifying about Jesus, but he uses the word receive. He says, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard Yet no one receives his testimony. So again, the idea is Jesus is saying things, but people aren't receiving it. They're not believing it. They're not acknowledging that it's true. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. There's the connection. So we can conclude then that to receive Jesus means to affirm and to accept what he claims to be. To receive Jesus means that we agree with him, we agree with the Bible, about what it says about us. It means to believe that what the Bible says is in fact true. So to believe and to receive him means that you entrust yourself to the truth of what the Bible says about him and what Jesus says about himself. To believe means that you take God at his word and then you choose to respond to what the Bible says in contrast to what the world says or what the devil says or even what the flesh says. To believe means that you respond and to act upon the truth that is right in front of you. So it means that you step away from something else. You step away from what you think. You step away from what you feel. You step away from things maybe that serve as barriers. Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith, which is the noun form of the verb form for believe, it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So to believe or to receive means that you rest in Jesus' works, not yours. It means that you rely on his promises, not your hopes. You act on the truth of what the Bible says about you, not how you feel, that you obey the commands of the scriptures, not just what you want to do. It means that you take on Jesus's life and you give up your own. So belief is so incredibly essential and receiving is essential. It even relates if you're a follower of Jesus and and tomorrow, let's say you, you wake up and you're gonna open the Bible and read it. What motivates you to do so? Is it because I'm gonna get something out of it? Is it because well I saw something in the scriptures last week? Or maybe even why do you come to to church? Maybe a few weeks ago you were helped by something that happened in the context of the service so you came back because of that. While all of those aren't necessarily bad reasons, I wanna suggest to you they don't connect to the idea of receiving and believing. Receiving and believing means that you come because you know what is here. Because you know that you'll put yourself in a position to be able to receive. It means that you believe in the substance of the word and you're ready to receive it. That you don't come because you feel like it. You don't come because intellectually it's proven true in the past. You don't come because of past experiences. You come merely from the fact that this is true. That settles it. So here I am to read it. That's what it means to receive. It means you take it as it is. It means... That you believe, and that's what it means to be a Christian, that you believe. So receiving, here's the third word. Third word is the word all. Here we find the scope of belief. Go back to that word that's in the text. It says this, but to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him. Placement of this word is is really important because it's connected to both the hope and the exclusivity of the gospel. This word does not mean that all people are saved. What it means is that every single person who receives Jesus is saved. Every single person who confesses Christ as Lord is welcomed into the family of God. So it says that to all who did receive him, What's amazing here is it sets in contrast the outright rejection of the Son of God in verses 10 and 11, now opening the floodgates wide open that every single person who receives Jesus is gloriously converted. You see, this is is the unbelievable hope of the good news, namely that if you believe, you can be saved doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how far it's gone, how long it's been, no matter what happened last night, what happened this morning, no matter how, t- how many times it's happened, over and over and over. The hope of the gospel is this. If you believe, you can be saved. If you receive, you can be saved. That the scope of the gospel is open, wide open. It is as wide as the depth of the sacrifice of Christ that makes it possible. Any person, anyone... Anyone who believes can be saved. Number four, who believed in his name. Now we have the authority of Jesus in the context of what it means to believe. The authority that's in belief. So belief has its roots in something else. And what John tells us is that all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, that's the roots, that's the substance, It's connected to everything that this name means. We're not talking here just about the name Jesus. Rather, it's talking here what the name represents. It's talking about the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus. It harkens back to what John told us in the first few verses of this gospel when he said that Jesus was in the beginning, when it says that Jesus was with God, when it says Jesus was God, when it says there was nothing made without him. So to believe in his name means that you affirm that he really is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So since believing must be in something, the authority of Christ is absolutely central, and Christians believe that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be. Friends, that is why the empty tomb is so critically important. It demonstrates that he really was the Son of God. Number five, gave. The text says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So here we find the grace through belief. So central to the good news of the gospel is that God gives something that we could never earn. Those who believe are the recipients of God's grace. most famous verse in John's gospel, John 3.16, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But that's not the only place where the Bible talks about God's graciousness in what he does in terms of giving. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23, similar, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. So you need to know that to understand Christianity at its core is this central premise that God gives something to people who they would never deserve it, and the only means by which they receive it is not because of the works that they have done, but because they have believed in the very promises of the word of God. And the beauty of the new heaven and the new earth, or heaven, is the fact that everything that we would experience in eternal life is only there because of God's grace. Number six, he gave the right. Here we have the privilege because of belief. So the word for right means power or it means authority. It's connected to the idea of position or status. Part of the beauty of what happens in the gospel is that God changes us so deeply. He changes us in terms of our identity. He changes us in terms of our position. He changes us in terms of our status. Such that underneath who you are is a new reality, a new person, a new standing. Here's how Peter describes it. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he says this, I love this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And central to that receiving of mercy and central to being God's people is the fact that God has fundamentally changed who we are in terms of our rights, our identity, our personhood. Number seven. He gave the right to what? To become the children of God of God, become, thats central to belief is this, this, this transformation, to become something, to become God's children. So belief implies that there is a change or a transformation that's a vital part of the gospel message. So believing in Jesus means that you are changed into something that you were not before. Somebody after first service asked me, well, wait a minute, the devils believe." Good question. James uses the words believe differently than how John uses it, and James is looking at it from a different angle, and it's connected to the transformation that is implicit in belief. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, then you will be transformed by Jesus. You'll be different because something so fundamentally within you has been altered, which is why when the Bible talks about who Christians are, it doesn't just use the the metaphor of becoming the children of God, it uses other words like you become a new man, you become a new creation. You become a new temple, a new people that by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit we are being transformed from one degree of glory into another. So if in this last week you experienced as a follower of Jesus some level of change in your life, you need to know that the only reason that change was possible is because of the supernatural indwelling power of a Savior who caused you to be changed from one degree to another. You ought never to hear some beautiful, gracious thing come out of your mouth and say, man, that was awesome that I did that, right? Not only because you'd immediately be sinning and full of pride, but also because of the fact that it didn't come from you. It comes from the power and the work of the Holy Spirit within you because of the transformation that's implicit in becoming part of God's family. That also means that if you're here today and not yet a follower of Jesus, that many of us came to Christ because we kept hitting a barrier. We couldn't change, we couldn't change, we couldn't change, we couldn't change. And here's why. Because we kept bringing the same us to the problem. Whether it was a job or a marriage or an addiction or a scenario or a sin struggle, we kept bringing the same us. And the only way that you come to Christ is when you are done with you trying to become something on your own. Transformation that comes through Christ is part of what it is that makes the gospel so beautiful. Become the children of God. Number eight, we find here, become the children. That now we have this new relationship through belief. God welcomes rebels into his family. Those who believe in Jesus are given the right to become God's children. They're adopted into God's family with all the rights, the privileges, and intimacy that are a part of that new relationship. This spiritual adoption is one of the most beautiful truths in the entire New Testament because in the context of the fact that the world is a mess in terms of the brokenness of its system, its people are a mess, the Bible says that out of that mess he invites those who would but receive Christ to become his children Out of the overflow of his love, he provides the means by atonement, not only for the death and resurrection through his son, but also to create a new relationship with him as our father. And this relationship changes everything. In the same way that when you have children, they have particular rights and privileges. First John three says this, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Being the children of God means that we have the rights and privileges of, of God's kids." I'll give you an example. My, my kids have the right to walk into my house without knocking or ringing the doorbell. In fact, it'd be quite odd. <laughs> if I'm sitting in my living room and my kids come home from college and they stand out front and ring the doorbell, I'd be like, "What are you doing, right? But you might say the same thing if I just showed up at your house for lunch today and just walked right in your home, right? Being family means that there are particular rights and privileges connected to the nature of the relationship. And our new relationship with the Father changes our identity, changes our sense of worth, changes our future. And by the way, that fundamental shift is one of the reasons why I believe in the assurance of salvation. I believe that once you become part of God's family, once you are his child, you can't undo being God's child any more than my kids can undo being my kids. They can do things that I don't like, they can do things that break my heart, but the fact of the matter is they will always be my children, and so you are God's child, because as you'll see in a moment, you are born again. God births you into his kingdom, you are welcomed into his family, and even if you wanted to undo it, you couldn't undo it. That opens up a whole different topic that we don't have time to go there. That's like nine more points, but we'll cover that some other Sunday. (laughs) What I want you to see is that God loves you. He sent His Son for you, He welcomed you into His family. And no matter what happens in your life, that love for you does not change. He loved you so much, He paid by His own Son so you may be here today not yet a follower of Jesus, and you've tried to find identity and meaning and fulfillment in all the wrong places, all sorts of things you've pursued. And you may be here today just absolutely tired and worn out. You know, that's what sin does. It wears us out. And the hope of the gospel is this. Why not come to Jesus today, who can fundamentally change you from the inside out, who can get to the part of you that you can't get to? The first step in coming to Christ is realizing that you can't fix your own mess. You need someone to deliver you from your mess. And that person is Jesus. The text ends now, this is point number nine. Hey, we're already there, well done. Point number nine, that was, I was saying that to you, not me. Uh, point number nine says we were born, verse 13, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here we have the miracle that is behind belief, namely, that we are born again. Now we'll take some time next year in John chapter three. We'll more fully explore what does it mean to be born again? But John introduces this idea of the new birth. And one of the reasons that I love this word born, who were born, is because John is gonna make a really important point that you need to understand. And it's this: although you believed, although you received, the fact of the matter is you didn't birth yourself any more than you birth yourself from your mother's womb. No child comes out of the womb and says, look what I did, right? Some of you may have seen before the, um, what happens when little boys and girls are in gymnastics class and they do a, a tumbling routine. I've seen watched them it's just kind of funny a gymnastics coach always tells little boys and girls to end with the traditional ta-da right doesn't matter how bad the tumble is no matter how they they fell off the balance beam like six times you have the parents sitting in the background going oh my word this is so expensive and not working right and they (laughs) they look at it and no matter what the kid gets up and ta-da 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 you just need to know when it comes to coming to Christ there is no ta-da moment there's none There's none. The only tada moment is when Jesus comes and we see him in all that he is. And all of eternity will be basking in the beauty of the fact that you got there, not because of works that you had done, but only because Jesus invaded your mess and he caused you to be born again. The text goes even further. He presses it. He says, who were born not what? No, who were born not of blood, meaning not by your family. In other words, you don't get To become a Christian because you were born in a Christian home. As awesome as that is, you gotta decide, are you gonna believe or you're not gonna believe? Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, meaning even your will, even what you desire is affected by the fall and the curse. So even your human desire is off, that God has to invade the mess of your desire. Nor is it the will of man. Somebody else deciding for you. You see, what this text is saying is that when it comes to being born again, you can't rest on your family background, you can't clean yourself up, you can't rest upon what other people do for you. This is the transformation that can only come from God. The fact of the matter is the first step in coming to faith in Christ is this thought. I cannot do it. Friend, you cannot do it. Let me put it this way, three ways to you. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. That's John's point. Do I need to do that again, or you got that? Right. The fact of the matter is is while you can't do it, Jesus can. You cannot make yourself a child of God. but Jesus can. You can't balance the scales of your own sinfulness but Jesus can. You can't wipe away your own sin, but Jesus can. You can't change your heart, but Jesus can. You can't create new desires within you, but Jesus can. You can't make yourself a different person, but Jesus can. And what happens in becoming a follower of Jesus is realizing this reality that I need him and you put your full trust in him and confidence in him. It's coming to a place where you know that your only hope is not what you have done in the past, what you should have done in the past, or what you will do in the future. That at the end of the day, being a follower of Jesus means this and this alone. My trust is in what Jesus can do. That's it. So what do we do with this? Hmm. Friend, if you're not a Christian, I wanna invite you to become a Christ follower today. I wanna to call you to put your trust in him. The Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how many times you've failed, whatever. It doesn't, we're all a mess, we're all a big mess. The wide open gates for the gospel is simply anyone who believes can come. So if you believe, why not come to Jesus today? Right where you are, even today, at the end of the service, or maybe on your drive home, just to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe, I don't know all what it means, but I believe that you're real and I want today for you to be my savior. If you're already a Christian, I want to remind you that believing is the very foundation of what it means to have a relationship with Christ. When you came to Jesus, you were born again. Something so foundational was changed in you that you are never the same. Doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that God delivered you from yourself and it all started because you heard the word of God and you said, that's true, that's true. You heard, all have sinned, and you heard it, and you said, that's true. You've heard, God so loved the world, and you said, that's true. You heard that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, and said, that's true. And in believing and receiving, you became a follower of Jesus. So being a Christ follower means that you hear and receive the word of God and you keep on believing that no matter what happens or what comes to you that you keep on believing that you hear the word and you say I believe you hear a sermon and you say, I believe. You run into difficulties this week and you say, I believe. You run into difficulties and challenges and trials and you say, I believe. And over and over you begin to learn that being a follower of Jesus means you pound the same truth over and over and over. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. When I'm five, I believe. When I'm 35, I believe. When I'm 95 I believe. When I'm born I believe. When i raise, raised, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And you don't stop believing. And you call those around you to say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And some of you today need to pound that truth into your heart and to remind your soul, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Because at the end of the day, what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this singular truth has transformed your heart and soul, namely that you take up John's gospel and you say, I thank God, believe, I believe. And Lord help us to be the kind of people who believe. Help us to be the folks those who are born again and believe and in our dying are believing. Help us not to give up on our belief, to quit on our belief. And thank you that you're the one who helps us to believe all the way to the end. God, we rest that we were born not by blood, nor by the will of the flesh or by the will of man, but by you. And so we rest in that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.